how to get that old farm equipment you love up to snuff from a technology standpoint, how Purdue's College of Veterinary Medicine is looking to grow to help with the nationwide vet shortage, and how low can these grain markets go. We'll discuss these topics and much more on this edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Thanks for joining us. I'm farm broadcaster Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. I'll be joined on the program by Andy Eubank, C.J. Miller, and Sabrina Halverson to bring you the top news from this past week in Indiana and U.S. agriculture. Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin will also have his Indiana farm forecast on the way, where he reminds us it is still wintertime here in Indiana. Let's begin, though, in Kentucky, Louisville to be exact, where the National Farm Machinery Show kicked off Wednesday. C.J. Miller was there. He shares this big new attraction from the event. Well, Eric, big may not be the right word to describe this new Case IH AF11 combine, which is making its debut here at the National Farm Machinery Show. Leo Bose is the harvest marketing lead with Case IH and details the power behind their huge new combine. We do have a C516 corn head hooked to this, so 16 rows, 30 inch row spacing. It all starts with that corn head for capacity, but it doesn't stop there. We go to the grain tank. 567 bushel grain tank capacity, unload that grain tank at over six bushels per second unload rate. And within 100 seconds, I can get that grain tank unloaded. So we don't stop there. That engine is 775 horsepower. So that power plant is really putting that power where we need it. How soon will Case IH's new AF11 combine be available through your local dealership? So later this summer, we'll actually have an order writing program that Customers will be able to work with their local dealer, and then we look at limited production for 2025. When it comes to the overall inventory of Case IH's new equipment and replacement parts, Bo says that their supply chain is back on track. For Case IH, that's pretty much, I would say, in our rear view mirror. Now, as you look forward, there may be those hiccups here once in a while, but for us, we don't see that as an issue um, because our supply base is pretty broad when we look at who we're pulling in and who we're using. So for us, it really hasn't, I would say, it's leveled off from probably three to four years ago. Read more and see photos of Case IH's humongous new AF11 combine at HoosierAgToday.com and the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. From the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, I'm C.J. Miller. USDA held their Ag Outlook Forum Thursday and Friday, providing some preliminary estimates of corn, soybean, and wheat acres and yields for this year. These estimates are not based on producers' surveys, but instead what their economists say will happen. USDA economists expect corn acres to be down 3.6 million acres from a year ago to 91 million acres with a 181 bushels per acre yield. They expect soybean acres to increase by nearly 4 million acres to 87.5 million with an estimated yield of 52 bushels per acre. Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist with StoneX, says he doesn't put much stock into these numbers because so much can and will change, but the media that writes about it does, which impacts the markets. Now, supply and demand do drive the markets in the long run, but in the short run, we know that the algo computers, uh, the money that's behind them, take the markets too far in both directions. They take it too low in bearish scenarios. They take it too high uh, in bullish scenarios. Suderman says those USDA numbers essentially give these markets permission to go even lower. 
For soybeans, they've been doing some historical analysis at Stonex that doesn't bode well for futures if it repeats itself. Since 2000, the soybean market has only spent 3% of its time in the $11 range. I'm speaking between 11 and 11.99. It spends a lot of time above it, a lot of time below it, but that $11 range, it tends to just simply pass through. Now, history doesn't always repeat itself, but that does suggest if history were to repeat itself, that we'll be dropping below $11 relatively quickly. Um, that's painful for farmers to hear, particularly who may have soybeans left to sell. And Suderman continued saying, I can't tell you what the markets are going to do today, tomorrow, or the next day. I don't have that crystal ball. If I did, I probably wouldn't be sharing it. I'd be on a beach someplace. But I can say this. A lot of times what this market needs is a final flush. And this looks a lot like a final flush. Uh, how low may it go? I don't know. More market analysis on the way coming up in just a few minutes here on Hoosier Ag this week. You can hear my full conversation with Suderman at HoosierAgToday.com. Now, this was a week of just bad news coming from USDA. Their latest farm income forecast shows that farm income will decrease by 25% this year. Danny Munch, an economist with Farm Bureau, explains what the report says about the farm economy. It measures net farm income, a broad measure of farm profitability, and the latest report anticipates a decrease from 2023 numbers of $155 billion to $116 billion in 2024. That's a $40 billion or 25% drop year over year, and the largest recorded year-to-year dollar decrease in net farm income on record. According to Munch, there are two main drivers behind the income drop. A $21 billion expected decline in cash receipts, so what farmers are receiving price-wise for their crops and livestock, and a $17 billion increase in production expenses, reaching a record level of $455 billion spent on production expenses expected for 2024. And Munch explains that this report emphasizes the need for the new farm bill to be finished this year. Farmers utilize many programs within the farm bill, including ARC, PLC, dairy margin coverage, as well as the risk management options to help buffer against cost increases or volatile markets and increases in production expenses. So when we see a decrease or an expected decrease in farm income of this magnitude, it's really important that these safety nets are available to farmers to make sure that we have secure domestic food supply. And if you were wondering how much bad news USDA could put out in one week, well, there's at least one more story on the way here on the weekend show about the census of agriculture and the amount of lost farms and farmland over the past five years. That's coming up right now. Let's take a look at the markets and how they finished up on Friday. We welcome in Andy Ubeck. Thanks, Eric. Another difficult week, and we end with losses in wheat, a flat corn market, and a short covering rally in the soybean futures market. We'll have numbers coming up. First, market analysis. I grabbed that in the middle of the trading day on Friday from Brian Basting at Advanced Trading. Not a lot of news to support the markets. That's a common theme, and it's no different here to end the week going into a three-day weekend with President's Day off for the markets on Monday. But still, finally, good to see beans stop the selling, at least for the moment. Yeah, a little bit there, Andy. We had uh, a really serious drop in nearby bean futures. So when you look at that March contract dropping down below 1170 a bushel, we're looking at the lowest price for nearby bean futures. You have to go all the way back to December of 2020. So over three years ago now that that's been that low. Um, just an improvement in weather in, in Argentina. USDA at the Ag Outlook Forum on Thursday 
painted a, a bearish picture for 24-25. Now, that, that seed, needless to say, as your listeners know, is in the bag change, but they've got the bean carry out here in the U.S. for next year. Penciled in at 435 versus 315 this year. So uh, it's been, been a long road down, but as you said, some short covering ahead of the weekend. Um, a lot can happen over a three-day weekend. We'll come in and look at the weather on, on Monday night and uh, see what uh, the crop is not made yet in Argentina, but they are harvesting beans in Brazil. It's going to be a smaller crop, but it's not a catastrophic situation. So, yes, it's uh, the other thing I'd add, Andy, on beans is that the export business is, is drying up. I'm afraid that the U.S. bean carryout could increase even further from that 315 number that the USDA is using. Economist Brian Basting at Advanced Trading. Brian's number is 309-664-2314. On the Hat Friday Farm Market Review, settlements now. It was an even day all throughout in corn futures, and we ended split. March corn down a penny and a quarter, 416 and a half. May down a quarter cent. July up a half cent at 440 and a quarter. March beans an even dime gain on the day 1172 and a quarter may 1176 and a quarter up a dime and a quarter and july 1184 and three quarters nine and a half cents higher march wheat 560 and a half losing six and a half cents april live cattle 187.55 a pickup of a dollar 95 and it was a very quiet day in the hog market april lean hogs finishing up 22 cents 85.22 Now, Monday is a federal holiday, President's Day, so the markets will be closed. I'm Andy Eubank. Much more still to come on Hoosier Ag this week. Making agriculture your life's work comes with challenges that can leave you feeling alone. I'm Bruce Kettler, President and CEO of the Agribusiness Council of Indiana. And when you're a member of ACI, you have agribusiness advocates in your corner, similar agribusiness members to network with, and opportunities for continued education. If your business serves Indiana agriculture, we need your perspective and hope you'll become a member of ACI. Visit inagribiz.org. The Agribusiness Council of Indiana, strengthening and connecting Indiana agribusiness. The High Ground Podcast. Everything from energy and fuel. And it's always like clean oil because most of my stuff leaks. (laughs) To agriculture. We go from the cute and cuddly phase to the not so cute and cuddly phase. You can cuddle with them at 290 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably against your will, I'm guessing. And, well, other things. He calls them all variable costs. That's bull. (laughs) I think you meant to say that's fertilizer, right? Staying on topic, Listen now on all platforms. Mother Nature attempting to remind us that it is still winter after all. I'm Chief Meteorologist Ryan Martin with Hoosier Ag Today's Weekend Weather Outlook. As we take a look at the setup here across the Hoosier State, yesterday we had to deal with a little bit of the white stuff floating around out there. Some flurries worked their way through. We're done with precipitation today for sure, but we're not done with the cold air. That's here to stay for at least another 24 to 36 hours. Well below normal temperatures here for your Saturday, and Sunday looks to start quite chilly as well. The good news is we do see some sunshine, and with sunshine this time of year, the sun angle is really helping. So I think we're going to be looking at temperatures that aren't too horrible for your Sunday, but then we'll see the real temperature moderation start next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. South flust flow is going to be a big part of that, and we're going to see sunshine also a big part of that Monday through Wednesday period. I don't look for any precipitation in that time frame. Now, overnight Wednesday night into Thursday, there's a minor disturbance in Michigan that throws a little bit of action out to the south. That's going to bring some hit and miss scattered rain showers to the northern third of Indiana. 
Indiana and the northern half of Ohio. A few hundreds to a tenth or two is all. Coverage around 60%. That's it. Central and southern Indiana, I don't think, see much of anything. Thursday turns out partly sunny, still mild to start, but colder air surges in. And I think the big feature for next week to watch is going to come overnight Thursday night and Friday. This is a weather system that has some origins back in the plains. Right now, it's looking to move right through the Ohio and Tennessee River Valley. So that's just a bit farther south. I will say keep clouds in your forecast eyes for Thursday night and Friday in southern tier counties of Indiana and maybe even a little bit of moisture. But at this point, I don't think it gets very far north. That will be the key to the forecast this week. Watching whether this low wants to stay on this track or whether it wants to lift farther north. Remember, about uh, three to four days ago, some data was pointing toward these lows moving right across central Illinois and northern Indiana. So this has been quite a marked change. And also the other thing is, where's the moisture source? If it's pulling moisture off the Gulf, that could allow things to move farther north as well. So that's my let's watch it kind of part of the forecast today. But I think the rest of the forecast looks pretty good. That system is out by mid to late Friday afternoon. We are settling in with some cooler temperatures for the balance of Friday and for Saturday the 24th. Those temperatures moderate Sunday the 25th into Monday the 26th. The week of the 26th, let's watch a system back in the Four Corners region. It's starting to come together early on the 26th. That means if it kicks out, we could be looking at some moisture the 28th into the 29th. I don't think it's looking like a lot right now, but it's still early stages for that weather system. Overall, we're still well below normal on precipitation here in February. I'm meteorologist Ryan Martin. This week is National FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. And FFA members from across the country are celebrating and sharing the FFA story. I'm National FFA President Amara Jackson from Michigan. On Thursday, February 22nd, you're invited to celebrate Give FFA Day, a 24-hour fundraising effort that unites the FFA community in support of the next generation of leaders who will change the world. Learn how you can help by visiting FFA.org and be sure to share your stories during Hashtag FFA Week. Welcome back to Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today. And last week, we told you about a federal judge's decision to revoke the EPA's approval for over-the-top use of dicamba herbicide products on soybeans. Well, since that decision, the EPA this week has issued an existing stocks order that allows the limited sale and distribution of dicamba products that were already in possession of growers or in the supply chain before the judge's decision on February 6th. The EPA issued the order after receiving enough evidence that millions of gallons of dicamba herbicide products had already entered the supply chain, Plus, the agency was notified that growers weren't able to switch to other options due to the timing of the judge's decision right before the start of the planting season. You can read the full story at HoosierAgToday.com and the new Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. It's a free download for iPhone and Android. Well, you've been hearing a lot about labor shortages impacting the ag industry. And one major area of concern is the shortage of veterinarians. Some studies have suggested that by 2030, we'll be short in this country about 15,000 veterinarians. So not just a shortage of vets in rural America, but veterinarians everywhere. And that's Dr. Willie Reed, the dean of Purdue University's College of Veterinary Medicine. 
He says one of Purdue's plans to increase the number of qualified veterinarians is to increase the enrollment into their veterinary college. Currently, the university seats 84 new students each year out of 1,800 who apply. Our plan is to grow it to 120. That's an ambitious goal, but we think we can do it. In fact, we're using some facilities that were designed for 50 students. When the college first opened in 1959, the plan was to accept 50 students per class. And we've inched that number up to 84, and we cannot inch it up anymore. Reed says before Purdue can bump up that number. We have to make some more modifications to our facilities to be able to accommodate uh, more students. He says that Purdue's new veterinary medical hospital that opened in 2022 has already helped to expand the program. It's a wonderful facility, and our students, they love it. Uh, our clients love it because it uh, allows us to uh, deliver veterinary services in a way that we've never been able to. So it's a great resource for the state of Indiana as we produce more Indiana vets. We uh, have a wide range of capability that you won't find in any other veterinary facility in the state. Reed says the university is also working to train more students to become support staff at vet clinics across the U.S. If veterinary practices can increase their efficiencies, then they can see more patients, more clients. And so at Purdue, we're very fortunate that we have embedded in our doctor of veterinary medicine program, in our college, a veterinary technician program. So we, we pride ourselves on training the veterinary team, uh, the veterinarian and the veterinary technician to work together to solve the animal health problems. You can hear my full conversation with Dr. Willie Reed, the dean of Purdue's College of Veterinary Medicine, at HoosierAgToday.com. Well, as you make plans for this year's growing season, you may also be making decisions on which path to follow when it comes to your crop insurance. The crop insurance program is the only thing that a farmer can buy that guarantees revenue, and that's very important now more than ever. That's Chad Cooper, an insurance officer with Farm Credit Mid-America. He says there's something you may want to consider when choosing between ARC agricultural risk coverage or PLC price loss coverage. The past several years it's been very advantageous for farmers to buy the the supplemental coverage option. That's an area plan that fits on top of an individual insurance policy and in order to get that SCO that supplemental coverage option farmers had to elect the PLC program at the farm office. Prices the last several years on that ARC and the PLC programs have been so low to the point where they were out of the money, so to speak. So the SEO uh, was very appealing. But Cooper says that has potentially changed this year. Reference prices have increased, and that could put the ARC program in the money quicker than a PLC or an SEO would be. So be sure to talk to your agent, and it may make sense this year to elect the ARC. I mean, it's it's going to be on an individual basis, but the last thing we would want to do is to not be prepared, and the FSA office calls in and asks the farmer what they want to elect this year, and they just say keep it the same as it was last year because that might not be the best fit this year. He also shares a recommendation for your crop insurance coverage this year. This last growing season, we saw wind and hail in areas that traditionally don't get wind and hail. What I would say is there's many options out there to bundle these products up with some supplemental coverages. And, and a lot of times there's big discounts if you bundle those items up. So 
as we see historically more and more farmers electing to go to an enterprise unit structure, sometimes we can be exposed to those isolated wind and hail events. So look into what it might be for your operation to buy up on those types of coverages. You can hear more of my conversation with Chad Cooper with Farm Credit Mid-America at HoosierAgToday.com. And speaking of Farm Credit Mid-America, they're celebrating another large return to their customers as part of their annual patronage program. We are really excited to announce that we are returning $255 million back into the hands of our customer owners. And that's Tara Durbin, Chief Lending Officer at Farm Credit Mid-America. The announcement was made during the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. This will be our eighth year that we've paid patronage, and in total we will have paid over $1.25 billion. That's with a B. She says those patronage payments will be delivered to customer owners in mid-March. That's always a, an exciting time of year, not only for our customers, but for us as employees as well. Uh, we do a lot of hand-delivered checks to our customers, um, but our customers can also expect to receive those of the week of March 18th, which uh, coincidentally is also National Ag Week. And so it's a great way that we can help showcase our appreciation for the hardworking customers that we serve. Durbin says that the patronage program represents one of their core values as a customer-owned cooperative. Our purpose is to secure the future of rural communities and agriculture. And so through our patronage program, we're able to return that portion of our earnings back to our customers, give them that little extra capital, especially in a time where, you know, interest rates are a little higher right now. And so that's one way that we can really benefit our customers and give back. She adds that the patronage speaks to the success of their customer owners. I give that credit back to our customers. The co-op is member owned. So the financial strength of our organization really rests on the farmers and our customers that we're there to support. For more information about Farm Credit Mid-America and their patronage program, visit their website at fcma.com. You can also find that link at our website, HoosierAgToday.com. Coming up on Hoosier Ag This Week, the USDA released its Census of Agriculture last week, and Eric Pfeiffer reports how the census shows a staggering loss of U.S. farms and farmlands since 2017. That story is on the way next. I'm C.J. Miller with Hoosier Ag Today, and this is Hoosier Ag This Week. It's like fertilizer for your brain. Every weekday morning, the Hoosier Ag Today email newsletter arrives in your inbox with the latest farm news, markets, and weather information, the kind of stuff you're going to need that day. So make sure you're feeding your brain with this free, easy to read, and important input. Sign up for the Hoosier Ag Today email newsletter at HoosierAgToday.com and the Hoosier Ag Today mobile app. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us on Hoosier Ag This Week. I'm Eric Pfeiffer from Hoosier Ag Today. If you have a piece of farm machinery that you love, but you'd like for it to have technology more in line with what's available here in 2024, consider retrofitting and reap the ROI benefits. Andy Eubank has details. Retrofitting is a term we use whenever we update the technologies on existing tractors, planters, or sprayers on a on a particular farm. Daniel Stansberry is general service manager at Ag Revolution. He says this approach gets you the newest technology while saving you money. You know, essentially we can take their tractor, sprayer, planter, add a retrofit package, and essentially bring that machine's technology 
up to date and be able to do things that a brand new planter would be doing out of the factory but these retrofits we can do it at a lower cost each job is centered around getting the customer what they want in order to improve the operation and the roi truly everything that we do in a retrofit build is using technologies that are going to gain an roi on that piece of equipment the the technology that we put on it uh, is going to ensure that the seeds get in the ground where they where they belong. Stansberry adds they can do extensive retrofit jobs on nearly any maker model, but the project is always dictated by what the farmer needs. We will add on as much or as little as the customer wants to get that planter up to today's standards. Learn more by stopping in one of their locations and hear the complete interview at HoosierAgToday.com. Ag Revolution is a wholly owned subsidiary of Agco. They now have eight locations in western Kentucky, southern Indiana, and southern Illinois. I'm Andy Eubank. All right, Andy, thanks. Dairy producers have been at odds recently with USDA over the federal milk marketing order program that sets the minimum prices that dairy farmers receive for their milk. Sabrina Halverson has an update now on the latest development between USDA and the nation's milk producers. The federal milk marketing order hearing is now finished and the USDA is considering more than 12,000 pages of testimony as it formulates its plan for FMMO modernization. The National Milk Producers Federation continues to do what it can to ensure that proposal best reflects the interest of dairy farmers and their cooperatives. We feel that we presented a very good hearing record. Half the room was full of basically USDA-related people. Vice President for Economic Policy and Market Research, Dr. Peter Vitaliano. Communications between USDA and the industry are very limited just to procedural things. Still, he says he's comfortable that members will get a decision that they're able to, quote, live with. But nobody, he says, is going to get everything they want. USDA is going to give each of the major parties a little something. The final result will be a market improvement over what we have now. Federal order pricing formulas, which is the only thing this whole hearing was about, uh, have basically maintained by and large, a fixed structure of the dairy industry. And over the 25 years or so that those formulas have been in effect, the industry has changed considerably. The formulas are now increasingly out of step with what the industry looks like. Our proposals are to bring those formulas up to match where the industry is now and where it will be going forward. The National Milk Producers Federation says successful modernization must respect the entire industry and work for farmers. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thank you, Sabrina. And finally this week, USDA released their 2022 Census of Agriculture. This survey is essentially asking the critical question of whether as a country, are we okay with losing that many farms? Are we okay with losing that much farmland? Or is there a better way? And that's Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack, who says some of the results were concerning. In 2017, when we did the survey, there were 2,042,220 farms. Today, the survey reports we have 1,900,487 farms. So doing a little quick math, that's 142,000 fewer farms in five years. The survey tells us that in 2017, we had well a little over 900 million acres of land and farming. Five years later, we have 880 million acres. So we've lost 20 million acres. And Vilsack puts the number of acres into perspective. That's every New England state, with the exception of Connecticut, in five years. I want to give you a sense of how many farms that is. 
I've been focusing on this issue for the last four or five months because I ran across a report done by Secretary of Agriculture Bob Berglund in 1981. He was expressing concern about the direction of agriculture because we had changed the method of support, a direction of support for American agriculture. Well, if you look at the number of farms that were in existence when he issued that warning and compare it to today, we've lost 535,000 farms. Now that's every farm today in the following states in North Dakota and South Dakota, in Minnesota and Wisconsin, in Illinois and Iowa, in Nebraska and Oklahoma and Missouri and Colorado. The data shows that here in Indiana, we've lost just over 3,000 farms since the 2017 survey. Indiana did come out of the survey as the number one producer in the nation of popcorn, gourds, and duck. See where else Indiana ranked at HoosierAgToday.com. That does it for this edition of Hoosier Ag This Week. Thank you for joining us. We'll do it again next weekend, same hat time, same hat channel. I'm Eric Pfeiffer, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network.